Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on Shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. Hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I am Ben Kissel. This is the Dumpster Fire Chats, part four. Uh, Thank you guys so much for sending in your emails to benk721 at gmail.com. It's been so awesome getting to know you. And uh, man, I just got to say, I love you all very much. And we have a great community here at Ableton's Top Hat and Cave Comedy Radio. Um, all right, well, let's just hop right in. The first email comes in from somebody. He's anonymous, so that's kind of exciting. Is he wearing a mask? I don't know. But uh, the subject matter is dumpster fire question, radioactivity. Okay, radioactivity. Okay, he writes, Hi, Ben. Love Abe Lincoln and last podcast on the left. Thank you, sir. So with recent events in our country, I'm interested in getting involved in my purple state's politics, but I don't know if I would make a viable politician or not. I was an Ashley Madison user five years ago. Yeah, gross. But I know how to find that information, and if I know, I have to assume that the Dirty Tricks guys can find it too. Do you think someone implicated in that mess would be a viable politician, or would it be immediately seized upon and disqualify me? Thanks for any input. I just got to say, buddy, own it. Be yourself. Uh, These are life decisions. Uh, We are human beings. And sometimes we don't make the best choices. No constituent that you speak to will be perfect. There is nothing wrong with being someone who has made mistakes in the past. Everyone has. Uh, So I think you can spin it as a positive. Ashley Madison, of course, there was 37 million users. 31 million of those users were men. And I'm pretty sure every other user after that was a robot, uh, which is kind of disturbing. You were a victim of a scam. Uh, Obviously predicated the scam uh, was reliant on individuals making certain uh, choices that might have, uh, you know, moral issues. But nonetheless, you were an issue of a predatory online business that took your money and did not give you what they promised. So that in itself is a positive platform position to hold. You can have that position. Use the Ashley Madison situation. Use your past uh, Ashley Madison uh, history and experience as a benefit to talk about other online predatory companies. Uh, People make mistakes. Human beings run government. I never want to meet a politician who hasn't made a mistake. Because those politicians are sociopaths, because they are without a doubt lying. Look no further 
than former Speaker of the House Dennis Hastert. Pedophile. The more squeaky clean they look, the more filthy the truth is. They're, the skeletons are in the closet. There is no denying that. They can only use this Ashley Madison situation against you if you don't own it, claim it, and you get ahead of it. You, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of my own life. I will be running for public office very soon. We will be doing a hard launch at some point in the upcoming future. And I've been recorded for seven years. Much of those recordings, not sober, not remotely close to driving a, uh, to being able to drive a car. God knows what they're going to cherry pick uh, from an episode of Roundtable of Gentlemen from, you know, 2012. I don't know what I said, um, but that's okay because I'm going to own it. And I'm not going to apologize for having a successful podcast network that makes people laugh. I'm a human being. You are a human being. And not to mention, uh, when it comes to sex scandals, it's nothing nothing new when it comes to politicians. You have Mark Sanford, who is now back uh, in Congress. Uh, you know, of course, he was the former governor of South Carolina. He went to have a fling. I believe it was Argentina. It might be a different, uh, might be a different country. He left the state. Multiple days, just left the state. Everyone's like, where's our governor? No one knew. And he was able to have a return. Carlos Danger, a.k.a. Anthony Weiner, would be mayor today had he not relapsed on the strange, bizarre sexual addiction he has when it comes to online sexting. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, he he was sexting, of course, with Sidney Leathers. That was the the proverbial straw that, that broke the camel's back. I don't know why he thought that Sidney Leathers was a was a trustworthy vessel for his uh, dick pics, but uh, apparently he was like, no, Sydney Leathers, you can trust her. She's not going to go to the press. In no way is she going to exploit this to make a an adult film. In no way would she do that. Lapse of judgment, to say the least. Anthony Weiner was forgiven. When he was running for mayor, uh, this was the past cycle, in uh, it must have been 2014, against, you know, now obviously de Blasio won, he was number one. He was up in the polls, and had he just stopped sexting, he would have been fine. And now, of course, it's possible he goes to prison because he ended up taking a picture um, of himself barely clothed next to his son, which is child endangerment, thoroughly disgusting. So just own everything. Don't don't worry about it. Um, you can't. You you just you know these are these are human ends that you're going to be able to have with your constituents. Everyone is in, everyone has made mistakes, so um, you're going to be okay. Bill Clinton, uh, you know, I mean, God, the list just goes on and on and on. It's not a felony. Uh, you did not commit a felony. You're a human being, the operable word, uh, operative word, human. We need human beings in, in office. And quite frankly... If there are felons out there listening, uh, God knows what you got your felony for. I don't care. I think you should also be allowed to run for public office and explain yourself, especially now. I mean, this is what they do. You know, they try to, you know, people talk about India and their caste system. We have our own caste system in this country. And it, it usually revolves around 
um, criminal justice. You're branded a felon. You're branded X, Y, and Z. Now the limits uh, for your success have lowered. BS. I don't buy it one bit. Hell, there was just a felon who could, who was able to walk at the New York City Fashion uh, Week. Um, he's a very handsome man, so that doesn't hurt. Given a shot, despite the fact that he was a felon. We have 2.5 million people in prison. The amount of individuals that go into those uh, facilities, the amount of people that are overcharged. I know they were just going to, they're, they're charging a lot of the rioters uh, from January 20th, uh, obviously the... Uh, inauguration day of, of Donald Trump. They're charging a lot of them with felonies. But don't let them stop you because that's exactly what they tell you. You know, you can't run for public office because, oh, you were on Ashley Madison five years ago. Meanwhile, you know, they have an autistic child tied up in the basement because they don't want anyone in the press to know that uh, one of their kids didn't turn out to be the perfect Kennedy. So don't let it stop you, buddy. Own it. It's a great in for your constituents. Everyone makes mistakes, and uh, and you're going to be just fine. And best of luck to you. Our heart goes out and, uh, and is fully supportive of everything that you're going to uh, gonna do. Um, all right. So best of luck, my friend. Let's move on. The next email it comes in. Um, let's see. This is from Natalie. All right. Well, thank you so much for writing in, Natalie. Uh, the subject is simply... Top Hat Dumpster Fire Chats, which is totally appropriate and wonderful. Okay, Natalie writes, hi. I recently discovered Top Hat and last podcast on the left while looking for something to listen to while at work. And I want to thank you for putting out a positive message in these scary times. I'm a trans woman living in the Kansas City area, which is smack dab in the middle of the Bible Belt. It's especially frustrating because recently both Missouri and Kansas are attempting to pass bathroom bills that potentially put me in danger, in the similar vein as the North Carolina bill. As I'm trying to be an active member of my government now, I emailed my governor and state representative and senator and received no response. After doing some research, I found that these people are very anti-LGBT, and some has gone have gone as far to call us disgusting. It's very frustrating because these are the people that are supposed to be my voice and represent me, but how can they do that when they dis- when they are disgusted by me? I hope that Trump's new administration doesn't make my life any harder than it already is. Anyway, thanks again. If you ever want to learn more about the trans community, as I foresee a lot more light will be shed on us in the, in the next coming years, feel free to contact me and ask away. I'm not easily offended and can easily answer most questions about the community. I only offer because I hear trans issues pop up more and more frequently on top at, I look forward to hearing back from you, um, Natalie. Thank you so much uh, for writing in. This is a huge issue. I mean, these bathroom bills are atrocious. These supposed small government conservatives, the audacity for them to legislate poo-poo time. You are going to evacuate waste, and the legislator is like, well, we better, we better talk about it. Bridges are falling down. Our education system is in shambles. There are multiple communities like Flint, Michigan, that have poisoned drinking water. And these supposed small government conservatives are worried about where you go to the bathroom. It makes zero sense. 
And Natalie, you are a hero. You are on the front lines of this culture war. A lot of people put Caitlyn Jenner up as the spokeswoman for the LGBT uh, community. That's BS. She made millions of dollars off of a reality show. She never had to suffer. She never had to be isolated. Certainly not isolated as you are in Kansas City or near Kansas City. It's a beautiful place, of course. We were just there recently. But you are the one. You are the hero. And these predatory laws are totally, utterly counterproductive, un-American. And if these conservatives were, if if they actually believed in their small government claims, these would never even, there would never be a pen that touches a pad of paper to begin legislation like this. I mean, what are they even thinking about? Out of your room, out of your womb, out of your wallet, out of your bathrooms. It's pretty obvious stuff. I mean, not to mention, if you go into a woman's bathroom, theoretically by this law, do they have some... Is, who would even know? Is there going to be somebody, a Larry Craig-like character, in a random Kansas City uh, restroom peeking her head under the stall door to make sure that... Uh, the anatomy is a, is is appropriate for what she deems being a woman is. I mean, that is this is ridiculous. This is this is the kind of conservative thinking that gets you a Larry Craig. If Larry Craig, of course, he's the, the now um, disgraced senator because he got caught, you know, t- tapping his toe in a Minnesota airport bathroom, trying to get blown next to a series of. Uh, of, of toilet seat covers because somehow in his mind, that's, that's the normal way to do it. That's more natural than just coming out and knowing who you are and, and, and owning who you are going back to the first email, um, with the Ashley Madison situation. The worst thing you can do is hide who you are because people, they know when they're being lied to and, and they know when, uh, someone is, is hiding who they truly are from them. So these these Republicans, I'm assuming they're mostly men. I'm assuming they're probably mostly white. The fact that they want to use such a small minority of our population as a wedge issue to then theoretically collect votes is crazy. It, it is completely beyond the pale. You're a taxpaying citizen of Missouri... You have a job that you go to. Your dollar means the exact same as a straight person's dollar. That's what matters. Fill the potholes. That's what these people need to be focused on. Education, roads, infrastructure. Not where should people go to poo-poo. It is remarkable to me that this gets uh, anywhere on a Senate floor, or on a house floor. At some point, don't these supposed so-called adults look at each other and just think like, oh yeah, why are we legislating where people do that thing that no one really likes to talk about that we just have to do because we constantly go to eat at Ponderosa? So you're on the front lines of this, Natalie. And, and please, you know, uh, keep the conversation going. Um 
because that is not easy. That is not easy to be, you know, part in that part of the country. Again, a beautiful part of the country full of wonderful, open-minded people. But these politicians, they'll take any chance they can to use a wedge issue uh, to their advantage. And it's, and it's just absolutely, it's, it's, it's not right at all. So thank you so much for writing in. You're, you're the hero. You're the, you're the hero here. Obviously, we have Donald Trump in office now, and you were talking about him. The one thing going back to Caitlyn Jenner, um, Donald Trump being a New York City, a East Coast liberal for most of his life until, until recent uh, history, until perhaps some brain damage, or I'm not sure exactly what happened. Not that East Coast liberals uh, should be, uh, you know, held to high, uh, uh, you know, esteem. I mean, certainly they've made a huge series of mistakes. I see it on a regular basis here living in New York City. Donald Trump letting uh, Caitlyn Jenner go and use the bathroom at Trump Tower. That was a huge deal. I can't believe that our president or future president let somebody go to the bathroom in their in their in their apartment complex slash home of Dwayne Reed, which for those that don't know, Dwayne Reed is like a Walgreens. They have good sushi. I actually eat Dwayne Reed sushi. So, but you know, that's just that's just me. And don't hold it against me, please. But see, I'm being I'm being honest. We will be talking more about trans issues. Um, absolutely. Uh, because we have to. Because there are people who, for no reason, unprovoked. No provocation. Just have decided to attack a group of other individuals who pay taxes, who are constituents, and who deserve to be treated with the respect that all other constituents are treated with. Oh, my goodness. What a time, huh? Fun time to be alive. I want to go back a little bit to that uh, earlier email regarding the uh, individual who was on Ashley Madison. Uh, Research Marty Walsh. He is currently the mayor of Boston, and uh, he is a former alcoholic, I guess current alcoholic as well. I suppose being an alcoholic, it's kind of like being knighted by the queen. I think once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I don't know how it works. doesn't sound as fun as being knighted by the queen, although who wants that lizard person to, to, to knight you anyway? It doesn't matter. It's all symbolic nonsense. But he ran an entire campaign about redemption, and so that's a campaign that you can run on, sir. Uh, with Ashley Madison. And also, because of these past transgressions, you understand individuals like Natalie. Defend people like Natalie. This is the cornerstone of the platform for everyone who has a heart and who wants to get involved in politics. We must defend the people who are the less defended. Because if we don't do it, they're going to get trampled on uh, by these maniacs who, again, all have pasts. Many of them have pasts similar to Dennis Hastert. And we just can't allow that to happen. They cannot win uh, with hate. And it's not right. Um, of course, at the same time, that being said, I also believe that private businesses, uh, they have rights to serve whoever they want to serve. And then we also have rights to not go to those businesses. Um, but it should not be legislated. Bigotry should not be legislated. I mean, I've never seen, I don't even know what's going on now. We have we, we had an election in 2016 where our president, now our president, was talking about the size of his Johnson. This entire primary cycle could be written by uh, the people who, who wrote the shirts for Beer Whiz t-shirts. I was looking over some of those shirts with Marcus Parks the other day. 
or Big Johnson shirts. That's the juvenile level we're at right now as a society. And these grown adults are in there as they drive down roads and see uh, crumbling homes, see kids that are getting subpar educations, to say the least, in the greatest country on the face of the planet. That is offensive. They get, they go to sit down at their desk as a legislator, and the first thing that comes to their head is poo-poo and bathroom talk. Maybe they watched Jane's Addiction's video, Got Caught Stealing, and they're like, oh, trans, everyone who is trans, they're all shoving large uh, Thanksgiving turkeys up their dresses. Who knows what the hell inspired these kinds of thoughts, other than the fact that the majority of people who pass legislation like this are a little bit like J. Edgar Hoover. I guarantee you that. A lot of bachelors with a bunch of high heels in their closet. You can put two and two together with that. So, um, dude, or I'm assuming you were a dude with Ashley Madison, keep up the good fight. Natalie, you keep up the good fight. You're on the front lines. And, yes, reach out. You can always reach out uh, to Top Hat and to myself. You have an ally uh, with Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. You have an ally in Ben Kissel. You have an ally for with Marcus Parks. I will speak for him. And we need to get these politicians to focus on the things that matter. And stop with this nonsense, wedge issue, talking points, legislation. All right, the next email coming in. Uh, this is all about marijuana. Uh, the, the subject is the future of legalization under Trump. From a legal cannabis grower's perspective, they want to be uh, anonymous, so I will not blow the cover. Uh, even though everything they're doing is totally legal. But anyway, okay, the email begins. Hello, Ben. Oh, well, hello, sir. Uh, I'm a commercial cannabis grower in Colorado working for a small family-owned medical grow. Since Trump has taken office, people have been wondering if this will somehow reverse or stop the legalization of cannabis across the country, and I have no idea what he will do. I have been growing legally and in large-scale multi-million dollar operations for six years and did not vote for Amendment 64. Uh, that would, of course, created recreational use in Colorado in 2012. The amount of regulation and government oversight I see every day is beyond ridiculous, from $8 tags for every single plant to the Department of Agriculture sending four salary tax-paid employees for over six hours to a grow no more than 5,000 square feet every six months. I have a list, and I could go on. Trust me, I am one persistent stoner. Well, sir, I, I, I believe that you are one persistent stoner. Uh, that would be good. That would be a fun thing to put on your tombstone. One persistent stoner. The email continues. When I first started growing in 2010, a pound was easily $3,000 wholesale, and I was paid extremely well by my bosses. Now, in 2017, the price is $1,000 a pound wholesale on a good day. The marijuana farm is specifically targeted more than any other crop-producing farm by the government at the cost of the employees in the industry. Yes, everyone should have access to medicine, and cannabis is an amazing medicine. People don't understand that giving the government that much control over something so valuable has serious negative consequences. Uh, 
To sum that up, yes, I believe in the medical marijuana program, and I hope and I hope Trump slows down recreational legalization, but allows for states to create their own medical programs with less government involvement and taxes on small cannabis farms for me and my daughter. Thanks, Ben. Love the shows. Hail yourself. And indeed, hail yourself as well, sir. The sharks are in the water and they are smelling blood. Those sharks are politicians and the blood is money from weed. Weed money. It is unreal. If you look at what Colorado and Washington, they have exceeded expectations in Colorado and Washington as far as revenue to the federal government goes. It is unbelievable. A... um. People are projecting a uh, mature marijuana industry could generate up to $28 billion in tax revenues for the federal, state, and local governments, including $7 billion in federal revenue, $5.5 billion from from business taxes, and $1.5 billion from income and payroll taxes. The money is there. And that's why we're having so many... um, Southern states, conservative-led states, entertaining the idea of legalizing marijuana because they're looking at the unbelievable cash cow that it is, and they would be foolish from a fiscally conservative standpoint to turn it down. This is what the fed, uh, this is what the federal government is up to. It is um, it's a federal tax of twenty three dollars per pound of product, similar to the federal tax on tobacco. It would be amazing if they just did a very similar thing that they do with tobacco. Then driving through North Carolina, it would no longer smell like your grandmother's afghan or your your grandfather's hairpiece. Uh, in other words, tobacco. It would smell like sweet leafy herb, which I think would be a fun time to a uh, fun place to drive through with the windows down, like you're a dog with your head hanging out. Uh, trying to suck up as much of the air as possible. So a $23 per pound tax on marijuana, very similar to what they do with tobacco, that could generate $500 million per year. Alternatively, a 10% sales surtax could generate $5.3 billion per year, with higher tax rates collecting proportionally more. The money is all there. It is unreal. And, of course, the industries that pop up um, because of the legalization of marijuana. I mean, certainly tourism is through the roof right now in Colorado, uh, and not just because of the uh, unbelievable mountains. It's because of the trees on, on, the, uh, on the bottom. Of course, those trees being marijuana. Delaware is thinking about uh, legalizing it. Senator Margaret Rose Henry Uh, This was actually during a Medical Marijuana Act Oversight Committee meeting. Um, She said it was something they would certainly look at. And as a matter of fact, in Delaware, there is a University of Delaware poll that shows 61% of residents, 61% of residents support legalization of marijuana. So, I mean, hell, if you live in Delaware, you got to do something to make that place exciting. And I love the people of Delaware. I love Delaware. I mean, Wayne's World, they made fun of it a little, uh, a little bit. But, you know, that's just because weed wasn't legal there yet and still isn't. But if it is, Delaware is a hot spot. Rhode Island as well is looking into it. 
uh, Rhode Island Governor Governor Raimondo, who sounds like a really he sounds kind of like a a bad guy running from the A team, and then and then face catches him at some point. Uh, he says this is this is. Uh, October 29th, he said, if I could get myself comfortable that we, the state, could legalize in a way that keeps people safe, keeps children safe, folks aren't getting sick, then I would be in favor. Just like anything else, in other words. You know, these things are always so difficult. Think of the children. Nothing is safe for, so many things are not safe for children. And they're legal and in every household. It's about education. New Jersey is another state. Uh, we talked a little bit about this on the last episode. Uh, New Jersey does have medical marijuana, by the way. Uh, and now, despite Chris Christie's pleas, um, it looks like it possibly could pass. Bills to tax and regulate marijuana were introduced in New Jersey uh, in the New Jersey Assembly by both Democrat Reed Gascoria and Republican Michael Patrick Carroll. Uh, This was in 2016, so we're looking at bipartisan support right now for the legalization of marijuana between the Democrat uh, uh, Gascoria and the Republican Patrick Carroll. But, of course, uh, Governor Christie said uh, recently, you'd be damn right I'm the only impediment to legalizing marijuana, and I'm going to maintain the only, and then I'm going to remain the only impediment until January of 2018. Get your ass out of office. Good God. Taking health advice. Well, we don't have to go into it with Chris Christie. You all know how I how I feel about him. By the way, Chris Christie's approval rating is at 19%. So maybe uh, you want to think about what your constituents, uh, what they want to see happen in New Jersey, what their vision is for the future, and maybe pivot a little bit. 19%. Good God, I think Robert Durst has a higher approval rating than 19%. Maybe Chris Christie should run for Congress, run run to be a member of the House of Representatives. That's roughly where their approval rating is, too. He'll feel right at home. Like I mentioned earlier, some southern states uh, entertaining the idea of legalizing marijuana, Texas being one of them. Texas is making decriminalization a priority on its 2017 lawmaking agenda. Can you imagine that? Texas, Tejao, the state of law and order, the state that that killed Faye Tucker, the state that gave us W. Bush thinking about legalizing marijuana. State officials will consider reducing charges for possession by adopting a model that fines people uh, $250 without giving them a criminal record. Five cannabis-related items are on the table for the 85th session. State Senator Jose Rodriguez and State Representatives Moody, Dutton, and White have all sponsored legislation this session, making it easier to use cannabis and lessen penalties if a person is caught. This is absolutely amazing for Texas to do this. Last year, Texas passed the Compassionate Use Act, which was intended to allow access to low-THC cannabis for those uh, for those with uh, intractable epilepsy, which is a that's a great thing. Uh, not the epilepsy, but the allowing them to use marijuana to treat it. So that's great. This year, 2017, Senator Menendez, he's a Democrat. He pre-filed SB 269, a comprehensive medical cannabis bill. 
bill will make the bill will make several improvements, including fixing a fatal flaw in the bill, allowing cannabis with any amount of THC and expanding the law to include other qualifying conditions. Now, again, going back to the anonymous email, when the government legalizes it, uh, they will be taking their cut and they will have more regulation. And I completely understand Ohio had a similar thing. Was it Lance Bass or Nick Lachey? One of those boy band people uh, was was part of wanting to legalize marijuana because they had an in with the industry. And then, then theoretically, they would own about 20 percent of the whole market. But that is I mean, that's just as a as a as a people, we're going to have to find a compromise with that because the government's taken their cut. And I personally am one. I just I'm so sick of seeing people uh, get arrested, getting fined, getting lives ruined not being able to um, collect uh, benefits in a lot of these southern states. They will restrict you if you test positive for, for marijuana from receiving benefits, regardless of how in need you are. So that's, that's what we really have to decide here. I am not for government intervention. You know that. But I'm a pragmatist, and uh, my, my, pragmatist, my pragmatism is, is, is tingling. My pragmatic spine is tingling. Keep people out of prisons. Make them small business owners. To me, that seems like a win-win. And, of course, to, to the point of the email, um, it will have a, a, an effect on the market, and the government will be getting everything that they need to get in order to um, rationalize them legalizing it. Kentucky is another state. This is Senator Perry Clark. Uh, This was last year. He told the Carrier Journal, the time of laughing and snickering about marijuana and marijuana cigarettes is over. He still calls them marijuana cigarettes. But, you know, that's okay. He's old school. We've got some serious businessmen who have who have approached me on this and now say they are taking it to the governor again. It is unfortunate that the peaceniks and anti-war movements and epilepsy. And people with uh, cancers, uh, individuals suffering from HIV AIDS, they weren't able to move the needle as much when it comes to the legalization of marijuana as isn't uh, as the tax dollars, as the economics behind it, as we've seen in Colorado. And thank God Colorado took the leap and legalized marijuana because now we have a case study for everyone, all these conservative, social conservatives who have strange notions of what marijuana does to the mind, what marijuana does to the body, what marijuana is as a drug in the in the first place. They have strange, strange things that they think about it. Anyway, but now the money is coming in. So in December 2016 and, and for January 2017, this is the, there's a new bill called the Cannabis Compassion Act, Again, this is in Kentucky, the Cannabis Compassion Act, and is filed, uh, it's, it's BR-409, and uh, so that's what they're pushing for. In 2017, they're also going to have a Cannabis Freedom Act. It's very interesting. The fact that recent elections have replaced some candidates could mean that newcomers are more receptive to cannabis legalization than their predecessors. I absolutely believe that that's true. Before the elections this year, uh, normal... Of course, the great pro-marijuana advocacy group gave most of Kentucky's congressional members a poor rating for their lack of support for any type of cannabis legalization. The exceptions are pro-cannabis, 
Republicans, a Republican pro-cannabis legalization advocates, Senator Rand Paul and Representative Thomas Massey. So they're on the front lines fighting the good fight in Kentucky, Rand Paul and Thomas Massey. Two names to look out for when, t- when discussing the legalization of marijuana, specifically in Kentucky. New Mexico is another state that is looking hard into legalizing cannabis. Representative Bill McCamley, Bill McCamley has suggested the state could use cannabis legalization as a way to resolve New Mexico's $600 million deficit. According to a poll conducted by the Albuquerque, uh, by the Albuquerque Journal in October, 61% of New, uh, of New Mexico voters support recreational marijuana. The numbers are all there. I mean, across the board, New Mexico, no one's like, that's a liberal bastion. Of course, Gary Johnson, the great governor, two-term governor of, of New Mexico, a strong proponent of legalizing marijuana. God knows he definitely partakes in it. New Mexico with a newly elected Democratic majority in both the the House and the Senate. This is a, they have a good chance uh, of passing it. Uh, Bill McClamley, yes, and Javier, Javier Martinez, both uh, both Democrats passing legislation there. Vermont, obviously the home state of, of Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders' home state of Vermont also passed adult use legalization in 2016 as it, and is expected to take up the issue again in 2017. The, the Vermont Senate voted 17 to 12 to pass SB 241, which allows adults ages 21 and older to use cannabis and, a, and regulated a tax system for cannabis-based products. Because of all this money coming in, this could convince new Republican Governor Phil Scott to support legalization this year, as researchers found the state could potentially rake in up to $75 million in annual ta- uh, in annual taxes. Another interesting state that's not considered a, a liberal bastion, Missouri. As a matter of fact, where Natalie is from, hopefully she can get some legal marijuana at some point soon there. Two lawmakers in Missouri have filed proposals for the upcoming 2017 legislation to legalize medical marijuana. The two bills, Senate Bill 56, sponsored by Jason Holzman, and Senate Bill 153, sponsored by Rob Schaff. He's a Republican. Bipartisan support. Now, either of these bills, uh, if they pass, they could finally bring true medical marijuana a true medical marijuana program to Missouri. Voters in Missouri narrowly missed out on a chance to vote on comprehensive medical cannabis bill on a comprehensive medical cannabis bill in November elections when thousands of signatures collected by proponents were invalidated by the court, leaving the measure off the ballot. Polling results released in June found that 62 percent, 62 percent of Missouri voters supported the referendum with only 27 percent opposing. So that is unbelievable. Uh, The tide is turning in the right direction when it comes to legalizing marijuana. We'll see what Jeff Sessions and his Justice Department want to do. I mean, obviously, I think that Jeff Sessions is. If we saw anything from Stephen Miller, who is one of Jeff Sessions, number one guys, like Jack Palance told Jack Nicholson in 1989's Batman, you're my number one guy. That's what Stephen Miller is to Jeff Sessions, and Stephen Miller helped craft the travel ban. I mean, obviously, these are not um, individuals who have concern 
for the common man. So we can only hope that Jeff Sessions lives up to what these conservatives are supposed to be living up to, which is states' rights. Hopefully they honor states' rights and allow these companies uh, to continue to grow and allow these states to legalize marijuana so they can finally try to turn around their uh, uh, abysmal economic situations, give it to schools, start funding highways, funding uh, you know programs, vocational programs, community colleges, colleges. That's the great thing. Marijuana, it's not like, oh, this will be a funny thing and that everyone's going to start wearing tie-dyes. And, and and really enjoying um, guitar comedy. No, medical marijuana, marijuana use in itself, is a it is a it is a right of a society that is full of free adults. I mean, hell, all of our founding fathers couldn't get enough of this stuff. Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, full of weed. Absolutely. So, uh, well, thank you so much for writing in the email, and uh, we'll definitely follow the legalization of marijuana as uh, as it continues to go down the uh, the old pike, and um, and hopefully we can see some real change in the right direction when it comes to a fifty when it comes to fifty states legalizing weed. But honestly, again, I don't care if you want to live in a state or if a state wants to be more traditional when it comes to marijuana. Don't legalize it, but just don't stop other states from legalizing it, and as soon as everyone starts to see the money that's coming in, now that they do see the money that's coming in, it's amazing how quickly opinions change. Turns out maybe it wasn't about morality after all, was it? All right, the next email, this really is one of the best emails I have ever had. Um, I love it. It's about criminal justice. It's about criminal justice reform, and it comes in from a 22-year-old named Colton, who is an aspiring police officer, and it discusses how uh, Abe Lincoln's top hat was able to change some of his beliefs uh, when it comes to systemic racism within the criminal justice system. So I'll just kind of pick up the email in the middle. He praises and and, uh, and says wonderful things about last podcast on the left and the roundtable of gentlemen. So thank you so much uh, for all the kind words, uh, Colton. I really do appreciate that. Um, All right, we'll just kind of jump right in here to the middle. He says, I recently began listening to Top Hat, uh, you and Marcus, and on this particular episode I'm writing about, Ed Larson changed my perspective for the better. Let me clarify, it was an episode about roasting cops. Like I said, I'm a 22-year-old straight white guy and have been since birth, and my absolute dream is to become a police officer. Being from the South, white and young, I have always responded to police misconduct in defense of the police. There are many reasons for this. Obviously, if a cop shoots someone for no reason or out of fear or whatever where it was not justified, I would still victim blame. And of course, uh, you know, this is uh, what we saw with the Walter Scott shooting um, with Michael Slager out of South Carolina. I mean, the man was running away from him. Uh, there is no denying that that was uh, excessive use of force. And he was able to get a mistrial because of this perception uh, of, of innocence. And people don't want to believe the cops are wrong because if the cops are wrong, the whole system is flawed. OK, his email goes on. 
Uh, he was listening to the episode, and he had a brain blast. The brain blast was, I did not understand systemic racism in our government and our legal system. I held the perspective that's, that seemed the most reasonable to me. According to FBI crime statistics, African Americans and Hispanics overwhelmingly commit most violent crime, and that's why they are in more contact with the police and therefore are more likely to be killed by police. Which seems like a reasonable approach that unfortunately a lot of conservatives use. But you, Marcus and Ed, helped me realize that that is only half a thought and explained and again helped me evolve that topic into a full thought. Why are these races committing these crimes? Systematic racism. No, it's not as blatant as using a racial slur or burning a cross or something awful like that. It's ingrained in our government and our laws. Like when it was mentioned on the episode, for one example... Uh, that resisting arrest is now a possible felony and is a felony in certain states. And 80% of resisting arrests are uh, African-Americans and Hispanics. And, of course, after you receive a felony, they cannot vote. It's basically impossible for them to get a job. Uh, when it comes to the Clinton crime bill, uh, the implications uh, were absolutely horrible. I mean, this is th- this email is absolutely great. Colton, uh, he goes on to say, um, he feels he had an important shift in thought and empathy, saying I have had an, I have I have had in a, a more of a shift in empathy than I have had in a long time on an educational level, and will and it will definitely be something I think about, not only moving forward in my life, but again an important perspective and a new layer of empathy and understanding in regards to my aspirations of becoming a police officer. I mean that is what it's all about. I love that so much, uh, and I, I respect your desire to be a police officer. And we need good officers out there to uh, to to change the narrative that the slaggers, Michael Slaggers of the world, cause and create. Because I believe there are some wonderful police officers out there, and I think Colton, you are going to be one of them. Uh, he he continues, Houston, Texas is one of the most diverse cities in the country, along with some of the best law enforcement agencies in the country. Uh, you can't just have an, a GED here. You have to have 40 college hours to even apply for the academy here. I love my city, and I want to protect it as well. Well, thank you so much, Colton, for writing in. I mean, this is real stuff. Uh, systemic racism, it, you know, it's not just a buzzword. It's not just something fun to say. We live in a nation of 5% of the world's population, and we have 25% of the world's prisoners. This is something that we hear over and over and over again, but really let that sit in. What that means, the nation uh, that that's brand is freedom has more people incarcerated than China, than Russia, 25% of the world's prisoners. It's absolutely huge. And why? Have we gotten worse as human beings? No, violence is down. Violence, violent crime is at a low. It had a small uptick in 2016, which are the, which are the um, stats that Donald Trump and his administration will tout as violent crime is on the rise. It has been on a 50-year decline and is on now a small, small uptick. From 1980 to 2008, the number of people incarcerated in America quadrupled from roughly 500,000 to 2.3 million. Did we all of a sudden in the evolution of of man, it was 1980 when we just decided to become horrible human beings and deserve to be incarcerated? It doesn't make any sense. 
Of course, the racial disparity is is undeniable. African-Americans, they constitute a million of the total 2.3, 2.4. Now I believe it's more, it's closer to 2.6 million people arrested. Blacks are incarcerated at nearly six times the rates of whites. And today, uh, blacks and Hispanics comprise a 58% of all prisoners, even though African-Americans and Hispanics make up approximately one quarter of the U.S. population. One in six black men have been incarcerated. Uh, I mean, this is really unbelievable. If this trend continues, uh, we'll see one in three black men incarcerated. One in 100 African-American women are in prison. Uh, Nationwide, uh, blacks, uh, they represent 26% of juvenile arrests, 44% of youth who are detained, 46% of the youth who are judicially waived to criminal court and 58% of the youth admitted to state prisons. And it all goes back to what we were talking about with the previous email, the legalization of marijuana drugs. With violent crime uh, on the decline, they have to have a reason to arrest these people and drugs are the perfect reason. There's about 14 million whites and 2.6 million blacks uh, that report using illicit drugs. Okay, but yet five times as many whites are using uh, illegal drugs, but blacks are sent to prison for drug offenses at a rate 10 times higher than whites. I mean, that and that is you know, when people talk about white privilege or whatever. I mean, these these terms get so muddled up with social media and ignorance on all sides and hatred. This is a real example. You know, I live in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. This Williamsburg, Brooklyn is not equally pleased as Brownsville, Brooklyn. If I have a, uh, you know, an eighth of weed on me, I'm not at risk of a stop and frisk, even though technically we all live under the same law. But that law is uh, executed in, in different ways in different parts of Brooklyn and in different parts of the country. And so this is just a micro version of it. African-Americans represent 12% of the total population of drug users, but 38% of those arrested in drug offenses. They also, when they are arrested, they serve more time. Uh, On on average, white people spend 58.7 months in prison, and blacks would be 61.7 months in prison. I mean, it, it is, the, you know, the, some of the issues are inner city crime prompted by social and economic isolation. Of course, the get tough on crime, the war on drugs, war on drugs, which started under Richard Nixon, really got amped up under Ronald Reagan. Uh, mixed that with the 1033 program signed in by Hillary Clinton as an extension of the 1994 crime bill. I mean, we have a perfect storm of uh, of multiple presidents, multiple administrations in a row just eroding the freedoms of these poor communities, of these uh, people of color communities. And there's just simply no denying that. And it was on purpose. You can no longer um, use bigotry as a motivation uh, for your politics. So you have to have a you have to have a hook. You have to have a reason. Oh, tough on crime. That's a hook. But in reality, it was it was tough on uh, minority communities. That's what it was. Of course, the three strikes in your outlaws. Absolutely horrendous. Zero tolerance policies, uh, mandatory minimums, taking the power away from the judiciary, taking the power away from judges. Judges don't like that. Judges wish they could look at a case 
and see the ins and outs and the nuances of that case and make a sentence that is applicable to the crime committed and the surrounding circumstances of that crime. I mean, this is one of the great ironies of the conservatives um, as well. And of course, again, the liberals, they've they've uh, let, they've dropped the ball on criminal justice reform basically every single time they held it. And just to clarify, one area where the left has uh, stripped away uh, African-Americans rights is on gun control. Uh, if you look at the 1911 Sullivan Act that was signed here in New York City uh, from a uh, from a Democratic uh, mayor, William J. Gaynor. Uh, that is an unbelievably unconstitutional act. And then in 1967, in the liberal state of California, after the Black Panthers were beginning to um, form a well-organized militia, which is exactly what the Second Amendment allows people to do when it comes to gun ownership, uh, the 1967 Mulford Act. Uh, the Black Panthers, they were beginning to threaten the status quo. Obviously, the governor of California at that time was Ronald Reagan. Uh, so we can't say that he's a leftist by any stretch of the imagination, other than the fact that he expanded the federal government in ways never seen before. So it is, it is a two-prong attack on the civil liberties of people in urban centers in our country. And I did grand jury duty here in Kings County, Brooklyn, and every single time an officer would come in when it came to finding a gun on a suspect or a uh, an individual they arrested, every single time they would come in, it was a small gun they found, very easily planted, and the African-American uh, jurors and the Hispanic jurors, they all had the exact same feeling of this is bogus, these officers planted that weapon. And that's so that's where the left has got it wrong when it comes to predatory policing practices on African Americans. They've taken away their rights uh, to gun ownership, which is completely unconstitutional. Stop and frisk, of course, 9 out of 10 are Hispanics or blacks. And the, the irony is if uh, whites have a better chance of having an illegal substance on them than uh, black or Hispanics. So, uh, you know, these are, the, and these are um, policies in urban centers that are controlled by more left-leaning individuals. But we're going to get in more to the gun control argument on the next episode of the Dumpster Fire Chats because uh, i got a couple of emails about gun control, and it's so fascinating. I mean, obviously, we have the situation with the NRA not defending Marisa Alexander out in Florida. Uh, she's since been released. She fired a warning shot in the ceiling. She was sentenced to 20 years. I mean, true and utter madness. It is a double standard, and it is a two different uh, set of rules uh, for different people in this society, and that has to change. Okay, let's go on with some conservatives. Uh, but when it comes to the conservatives talking about, you know, states' rights, how people should be able to make their own decisions because they understand what their constituents need the best, judges, the people who sit through these trials, should be the ones making the decision on sentencing, not some mandatory minimum sentence. It is asinine. And, of course, I mean, it is you can also argue from a from a fiscal responsibility. Uh, it's it's huge. The cost is huge. Seventy billion dollars a year we spend uh, on corrections. I mean, seventy billion dollars for no reason at all. 
Uh, it is it is unbelievable, and and we can get into that also. I mean, the slave it is it is basically slave labor. We can talk about that. I mean, and it is again because because violence is down. Drugs are a perfect perfect um, substitute. A perfect reason to arrest. Tess Borden. Uh, a fellow at the Human Rights Watch and the ACLU found that despite the d- despite the steep decline in crime rate, rates over the last two decades, including a 36 percent drop in violent crime arrests in vi- violent crime arrests from 1995 to 2015, the number of arrests for all drug possessions, including marijuana, increased by 13 percent. So they're getting it. So we have a 36. They're getting their criminals. They're getting their prisoners. They are getting uh, their quotas filled. These police officers. There's no denying that. 36 percent decrease in violent crime. 13 percent increase in drug arrests. Going back a little bit to what I mentioned earlier. Basically, the it is it is it is slavery. I mean, if you look at what happened with Angola prison, there is no greater example of slavery being abolished policing of minority communities for small things like you know trespassing or um you know just hanging out hanging out in the street too long small small things way over prosecuted and of course yes then with resisting arrest becoming a felony um i mean it's just a perfect storm what are they supposed to do so some of the things that prisoners work on they they make books for the blind there's 36 prison uh, Braille writing programs in the United States. In Missouri, the Center for Braille and Narration Production employs 102 convicts, many of whom are certified through the Library of Congress. They transcribe anything from novels to music, which I think, keep in mind, I think it's good that these people are being able to work. But what is not good is that they don't get paid, off, and they're literally doing it like a sweatshop worker in China chained to a desk. Every time you bought, uh, went to JC or Victoria's Secrets or JC Penney's for Valentine's Day in the 1990s, you most likely bought um, your girlfriend lingerie made by a prisoner. Isn't that unbelievable? In, Car- in South Carolina, 35 inmates, they were making leisure wear and lingerie. Happy Valentine's Day, honey. I hope you love the new lingerie. It was made by somebody who's enslaved. They make park benches and picnic tables, military jackets and battle garb. And this is, you know, again, I need to clarify, you know, violent offenders need to be in prison. There is no denying that. But that has always been the case, especially now with with DNA and and, uh, you know, retina scanning. It is easier than ever to to find the people who have committed violent crimes, arrest them. And keep them away from the population. Keep us safe. The drug offenses, the minor crimes that escalate and escalate and escalate once you get into the criminal justice system. Uh, the probation uh, violations, which, you know, it could be drinking uh, a sip of alcohol. You just don't have the same freedoms. And the pitfalls are just so easy uh, to find yourself going down. And this one really gets me. Military jackets and battle garb. We have people outfitting individuals who are protecting our freedoms globally 
And the irony that those uh, that equipment is made by prisoners should not be lost on any of us. They are the freedom fighters, a global force for good, spreading democracy around the world. And they're wearing garb made by prisoners. That is unbelievable. Pre- the federal prison industries, better known as Unicor, consists entirely of conv- convicts working at 89 factories. Together they help clothe the U.S. military making jackets, uniforms, helmets, shoes, and even flak jackets for police officers. They craft body armor and holsters. This is another one of those great irony, uh, ironic um, products that prisoners create, human silhouette targets. Well, hell, in Michael Slager's case, I guess he just he, he skipped the fake version and just went right to the human one, huh? Ironically enough, convicts at Unicor also make human silhouette targets for law enforcement training. The shadowy targets help crime fighters in the FBI, Homeland Security, and U.S. Customs hone their arms. They make baseball caps. They make old Ikea products. They make canoes. Colorado Correction Industries oversees approximately 60 inmate programs. Jailbirds at Fremont County Jail, for example, build fiberglass and sealed canoes. They use scraps from the prison's furniture shop and sell the canoes for around $1,500. Other Colorado programs help craft those ubiquitous college dormitory desks and bookshelves. They make artsy knickknacks in San Quentin. They make blue jeans in eastern Oregon. There was a prison blue jeans factory, makes jackets, T-shirts, hats. And hell, they even work with horses in Colorado. The Wild Horse Inmate Program trains wild Mustangs, prepping them for adoption since 1986. And I have no problem, again, with these prisoners um, doing, doing things with their day. Uh, why are they there? That's the question. Because I wouldn't be surprised if some of these prisoners were happy to have these jobs. You get out of this your your cell, um, living living a life worse than a, a giraffe in the zoo. I mean, anything is better than being in a. It's, it is. These are not these are not rooms. These are bathrooms with cots in them. That's what a jail cell is. I mean, they're thoroughly disgusting. So anything to get the inmates out is something that's probably going to make them happy. I understand that, but why are they there in the first place? Private prisons currently house approximately 22,000 federal inmates, according to the DOJ report, which translates to roughly 12% of the total inmate population. The Bureau of Prisons paid $639 million to private prisons. This was in the year 2014. Uh, so each prisoner roughly cost twenty-two grand to keep locked up. Where, where is the logic here? I mean, it is unbelievable. And that's why we have Colton. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for taking this stuff seriously because you are going to be on the front lines of changing these policies. There are some people doing some good things. There's they, you know, trying people trying to build a school district within some federal prisons. They're launching a tablet-based program uh, for inmate education, supporting the Second Chance Pell program, which I'm all about encouraging inmates to develop marketable job skills developing standardized evidence-based programs to reduce recidivism, 
prioritize mental health treatment for inmates. I mean, that's the thing. When Reagan shut down the mental health facilities, these people, uh, I do have sympathy for the police officers. I have sympathy for jail security, jail guards and, 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 and prison guards. Because they are not, they're not therapists. They're not Loomis uh, from Halloween. They're not specializing in taking care of the mental needs that these uh, many prisoners are in desperate, uh, you know, it, it, that have, they have lacked, um, you know, proper uh, mental assessment throughout their entire lives and, and the drugs that they might need or the therapy that they might need because these kids come from broken homes in many ways. It's the vicious cycle of incarceration. You rip families apart. Uh, and next thing you know, you have a kid who is out there with uh, a single mother or who has to work or whatever it might be, taking care of themselves at seven, eight, nine, ten years old, disgruntled, upset because their parents uh, have been, uh, you know, split up or broken up and uh, and torn apart from that from a system that is predatory. I mean, it is it is intense stuff. Reducing the use of solitary confinement and other forms of restrictive housing. I mean, every single piece of research done on individuals who were in solitary confinement it is definitive proof that it is torture the quakers st- stopped doing it for crying out loud because they thought it was too brutal we've gone back people always think oh the future everything has to get better in the future when it comes to prison uh, the prison industrial complex we've taken 30 steps back we're we're over here in, in, in the dark ages, throwing people, that we are burying them alive. When you think about solitary consignment, uh, confinement, you are burying somebody alive in a, in a bathroom stall. And mon- many of these solitary confinement cells are underground. I mean, it is unreal. Um, reforming and strengthening the federal ho- uh, halfway houses. I think that would be a good step. I mean, there are so many things. This is a whole nother. I mean, we could talk about this for a very long time. But thank you so much for writing in, Colton. I mean, we need we need criminal justice reform. We need prison reform in this country in a bad way. And we cannot sit here and promise to be a beacon of freedom for the world when we have 25% of the world's prisoners rotting away in our cells, making our military clothes for free, making your lingerie uh, from Victoria's Secret. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is supposed to be a nation of freedom, and we've lost our way in that regard. And I'll tell you, I don't, and that's why I always, uh, I did not forgive Hillary Clinton. I, didn't for, I don't forgive the Clintons at all for this. Reagan, Clinton, W, Obama. Obama did some good things. You know, he, he pardoned more people than any president in history. Of course, he went to visit the prisons, and and so he did do some good things, and there's no denying that. But not nearly enough, in my opinion. Um, All right, everyone. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, There's so many other emails to get to. There's one involving DACA. Um, and, and, and sanctuary cities, basically what happens with sanctuary cities is they will just promise there's millions and millions of dollars of grants uh, that the federal governments give these cities. They're going to get rid of those grants and to theoretically punish those cities for being sanctuary cities. That will cities that will be happening. Jeff Sessions has said that he wants to do that, get rid of the grants for New York or San Francisco. Uh, there's hundreds of sanctuary cities around the country. And then, of course, when it comes to DACA. Um, we had we just had Saman Arbabi on talking a little bit about the Muslim ban and, uh, and immigration and deportation. DACA is currently still safe. Um, but again, 
if they deem what whoever they deem a criminal, DACA is now removed. It doesn't matter if it's loitering. You know, you can just get arrested for loitering if they want, whatever. If you stop to tie your shoe, they'd be like, that's loitering. And then you resist the arrest. Oh, next thing you know, it's a felony for resisting arrest. It's a perfect storm. It's a perfect cycle. And then, boom, they have all the reasons to write down in their notebook about why they detained you. And your DACA rights have now officially been thrown in the trash. So uh, it's interesting stuff. Um, All right. Well, that's uh, been the fourth Dumpster Fire Chat. Thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, continue to email in at benk721 at gmail.com. And I'm going to get to as many as I possibly can. Uh, I'm getting like hundreds of them, so uh, which is wonderful. And, I'm re- you know, even if I don't read it on air, I read it. Um, and so thank you for all the kind words. I mean, I, you know, this is just such a wonderful community we have. And, and uh, Marcus and I love you so much. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for listening. You can find Marcus Parks on Twitter at Marcus Parks. Find me on Twitter at Ben Kissel. And uh, all right, we'll talk to you soon. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.